good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces, and welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today in this podcast, we're going to be talking about the mental health crisis. We're going to lead off with Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 7, and we'll have several other scriptures that we'll read in reference today, and we'll put that in the overview. But with our mental health in mind, let's just dig right in. And good afternoon to everybody out there in podcast land. The current event is the current mental health crisis, and there's more information that comes about this daily as one surfs over the internet. Here is a quote from Psychology Today, uh, March of uh, 21, quoting the uh, American Psychological Association. Quote, between the social isolation, economic instability, political turmoil, racial violence, death and sickness, and overall uncertainty about the future, it is no wonder that mental health in America is on the decline, that depression and anxiety levels are on the rise, and that the demand for mental health and addiction treatment is skyrocketing. We know the toll that chronic stress can take on the body, mind, and spirit. This is not surprising, given the inextricable link between physical and mental health. We are facing a national mental health crisis that could yield serious health and social consequences for years to come. End of quote. Also, the Associated Press's medical writer, Mike Stopbeep, that's T-O-B-B-E-A-P, Stopbeep, uh, August 10th of this year, reported that in the past year, the U.S. set a record for suicides, highest ever, at 49,500,000. And according to the Daily Wire, within that number, men took their lives four times more often than women. So the consensus is this. The top two health issues causing a crisis would be anxiety and depression, and with a particular kind and focus on depression known as the bipolar phenomena, which back in my day was simply called manic depression, that is extreme emotional highs crashing to great emotional lows and the mental problems that caused. The rise in these mental issues began with COVID lockdowns, according to the APA the American Psychological Association. But first, let's have some clarifications. This is from Bing, summarizing an article from VeryWellMind.com, May 24th of 2003. Bipolar disorder is a complex condition that is not fully understood. While it is believed that there are chemical imbalances in the brain that contribute to bipolar disorder, the exact cause of these imbalances is not known. Other researchers suspect that biochemical abnormalities may be genetic, though they acknowledge that research is lacking on this subject. End of quote. So, bipolar depression is still mostly a mystery. Uh, Here's some words from a Christian physician, psychiatrist I knew back in the day, um, which we here at Current Events recommend, and I've referred members uh, that I have counseled uh, to this person and to his staff, in times past, I asked him about uh, the place of meds in uh, psychiatric help and then counseling and all of that. He said, you're down in the well of depression. Meds help you get up out of the well, but then it's up to you. Mm. Uh, Clinical depression is real. And some 50 years of uh, ministry and counseling that I've had, 
and I've counseled people who had suicidal impulses, anxieties, people who've been hospitalized for nervous breakdowns, people who had depressions, grief that was difficult to deal with, and more than that, it's ever clear to me that God's help is what we need most of all. Why? Because no pill on earth can make us love God or our neighbor or give us the joy of the Lord. Depression is recognized in the scriptures, and how to handle it doesn't involve, obviously, modern medications. Thank goodness it's referenced in the scriptures. Yes, but it is referenced. Yeah. So listen to this from Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 7, as Randy reads it. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Right. And there's a translation known as the voice translation. And listen to how they render this. Verse 6. Give liquor to one who is dying and offer wine to those struggling with life's harsh realities. Mm. Well, those are strong words for desperate situations, but they're in the Bible. Modern meds are easier to administer, obviously, but the reasons for giving them are the same as stated above in that proverb. Struggling with life's harsh realities and losing the battle. In a very good book I recommend, it's not Christian, at least when he wrote it, I don't think he was Christian, but it's nonetheless, as I've learned over the years, um, good psychological help often comes from people who just got good common sense. Uh, not necessarily always in the Christian realm. A fellow named M. Scott Peck wrote a book. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I guess I read it four decades ago. The Road Less Traveled. And the main theme is basically life is hard. That is a good book. I actually read it too. Okay. Yeah. Randy read the book yeah. as well. Um, and he says the failure to accept this truth that life is hard uh, makes people neurotic, which is a mental condition. It's not caused by an organic disease. But it does lead to uh, obsessive behavior to cope with reality, such as uh, OCD disorders, where people wash their hands 50 times a day, which is a way of uh, coping. It's a coping mechanism. But if that's not dealt with, that can lead to psychosis, which is a break with reality. Mm. Let's take a break, though, and hear another Proverbs, which addresses mental health. Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Right. So we need a joyful heart. It's good medicine. And the bones, of course, is our inner core. And when that dries up, we got mental issues. Mental illness is recognized in the Old Testament um, of the organic type. That is some kind of brain damage uh, from birth or picked up later by an injury, something like that. Listen to this from 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen, that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? 
David's act is clearly based on those who are mentally disturbed due to some brain dysfunction, present at birth, a result of injury. Indeed, uh, those with dementia can display such behaviors, and that's due to brain shrinkage, which is the beginning of dementia. Times where when such behavior landed people in a mental institution, they were popular when I was young. They're closed now for the most part. Uh, today you'll be in a nursing home or you'll be homeless. Or in prison. Or in prison. Yeah. So this type of mental instability should not be confused with those of us who, due to genetic factors, are more prone to depression than others. All of us at birth inherit certain weaknesses, some alcohol, some gambling. Everybody has some issue they have to deal with and overcome mm. because death is present in the birth, even though that's the beginning of life. Some mental illnesses are the result also of demonic activity. Mark 5, 14 through 15. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Yes, in his right mind. Demonic possession is a fact, and it produces various behaviors of mental instability. However, we will leave that subject for another time in the podcast. Another area of depression is postpartum blues, which affects up to 20% of women who have given birth. Although, I must say, WebMD says men can have PPD too, postpartum depression. Well, you know, I, uh, a good missionary friend of ours years ago, Paul Fuller, uh, who's gone home to be with the Lord, he told me that he would deal with depression coming back from the mission field. Mm. Like there would be a significant missionary work and it was like, as soon as it was over, we went to bed, woke up, depression. Mm. Just like a crash. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That can happen. And 23% of mother's deaths are attributed to postpartum uh, factors. So that's from the CDC. What's the treatment for that, for the mothers giving birth and having these difficulties? Everything from talk therapy to, to meds. And, of course, among veterans, PTSD yeah. is really big. That's strikes home with me because I struggled with that and uh, was under the care of a counselor. I've been under the care of a counselor twice and I was on meds for what I thought was nine months. My wife told me later it was more like 18 because it puts you in a fog. But it was that extreme high, extreme low. Mm -hmm. And the meds, just like the doctor uh, said to you, uh, evens that out. But it evens it out to where it's just like a flat line. Like, B, your mama died. B, yeah, yeah. you won the lottery. B, like it, it doesn't, you know, there is one no reaction movement. for all things. Yeah, there was one face. Yeah. But it, it helped because it, it enabled me to get a grasp on things so that I could get better, not stay on the meds. Right. Yeah. Right. That's the goal. The yeah. goal is always to get off of them. And we who are Christian, I think, have a inside Help That's that. right. Amen to that. From the, the Lord. Spirit. Yeah. So uh, leaving aside, thank you, Randy, for that testimony. Yeah. Uh, leaving aside the obviously disturbed because of either brain damage or demonic causes, let's turn to the Bible, to the scriptures, and our mental health problems seen there and their solutions. Here's a passage, uh, a foundational for this. Isaiah 26, verses 2 through 4. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. 
Yes, we start with the peace of God, for that is the ultimate answer to our mental instabilities. Our mind must be on him. He who is the immovable rock brings us to peace through his own rock-solid stability. And this is an arc for life. There will be storms that come against the peace of God, and anxieties will push to find entry into our spiritual life. So, listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right. Emphasis, peace of God, inward, in our inward being, guarding our heart, that is the center part of our being spiritually, and our minds as well, and that's all done in Christ. Likewise, Peter says, along the same lines, 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Anxiety is one of the leading causes of mental instability. People become paralyzed trying to make a decision or what course to take. And please note, neither Paul nor Peter says that doing this prayer to overcome anxiety is a one-time thing. You don't have to worry about repeating it. You know, it's not rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, <laughs> you know. Uh, it is. I mean, it is rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Uh, as often as we need to, we need to seek out the Lord for relief. Bathe in it. Bathe in it, yes. Yeah. Regardless of the origin of our anxieties. As I said, some of us are prone to be depressive. Uh, we go through traumas in life. We end up one way or the other. No one's for sure how this works. Chemical imbalances. We go through hormonal changes, of course, mm. and many other things. There's a wonderful proverb that I like. Uh, that helps in this matter of getting rid of anxiety. And it's good to try to make it a lifelong discipline. All those will see you'll still need other prayers, but this is good. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Right, and it goes on to say it will be healing to your flesh that's body, that's physical. This is this relationship that's inextricably linked with our inward person, our spirit. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones, meaning from the inside deepest part of you outward, you'll get a lifted spirit. The anxiety will flee away. So keep that in mind. It's a great passage from Proverbs. In fact, we had a testimony at a prayer breakfast here some months ago where one of our church members said he memorized this early on because he had anxiety when he went on dating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yet at times we do need special prayers and supplications. Uh, listen to this, Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Well, does he sound anxious to you? He sure does to me. But here's a question to ponder. He says, the waters have come up to my neck. I have yet to read a psalm where the psalmist says, Lord, the waters are at my ankles. Lord, the waters are at my knees. Lord, the water's at my waist. Why is it we wait until we realize yeah. it's either God or we're dead? Yeah. And that ought not to be. But people, that's, that's who we are sometimes. We try to do it in our own strength. And I think that's yeah. it. Yeah. So um, definitely, if you're on uh, a scale of 1 to 10, if you're at a 10 up to your neck, you're, you're crying out to God, it better be on a 10 as well. And mm -hmm. David's was. Mm -hmm. 
And remember to give thanks, as Philippians 4 told us. Give thanks when you uh, are praying and uh, getting the peace of God. We must not let a present anxiety wipe out our memory of how God has blessed in the past. And we continue to seek Him until peace begins to dawn upon our darkness. And I've experienced that myself, gone through it. You'll know it when it comes. God's peace destroys anxieties, and uh, that power guards our hearts and minds in Christ. You know, I, uh, you know, sometimes it's it's hard to tell when you have mental illness mm -hmm. or an issue. For me, I journaled, and every three days I noticed this pattern. Every three days, it was like a different person wrote. Mm -hmm. And then back to back to normal. Mm -hmm. And then every three so it was this pattern of behavior that I clearly saw in my writing that then I correlated back to how I was feeling and realized, okay, I got something wrong with me. Mm. I need to do something about this or see someone or speak to someone about it. Um, and thankfully that led to, you know, what, what I discussed before. All so, right. Yeah. All right. So a good thought to keep in mind, you may not know that you're that way until you discover it as Randy did, or maybe somebody in your life says, you've got some, <laughs> you've got issues, you've man. Got some issues yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to deal with. Um, absolutely. Paul experienced such anxieties, and here's his testimony concerning the deliverance that God gave him. And keep in mind, this is one of those times when Paul blew it, and we need to be encouraged by that. Yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, and that he will deliver us again. You also must help us and be in prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He was despairing of life itself. He felt, this is it, it's over, I'm dead. Mm. Um, and then he says, but we went through this experience because apparently he was relying upon himself. So he says, this was, yeah, yeah. this was to make us rely not on ourselves, which apparently he was doing, but on God, along with Thanking also the people for their prayers. He was up to his neck, not up to he, his he was up to yeah. his, He was up to his neck when the thought came to him. It's over. That's right. I'm out of here. But he wasn't, and God being merciful took care of it. Yeah. So he was anxious. He was depressed. Uh, you don't hear him saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Nope, nope. It uh, was a different day. It's a different that day. That was another day. That's another day and, uh, and an anxiety that... Um, he wasn't dealing with it. Must have been a Monday. That had to have been a Monday. Could right? have been a Monday. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a lot of people have Sunday blues Sunday yeah. night because of Monday's coming. <laughs> That's right. Um, and Paul's just like the rest of us. Sometimes we can't take our own advice mm. like he gave to the Philippians. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So anxiety leads to despair, and Paul says that's where he was. I'm going to die. However, he was in such a place because he was not following his own advice. Uh, amid despair, he learned that he must simply rely on God. And note his emphasis on the prayers of others. Uh, when anxiety becomes despair, seek out the prayers of others. I can remember a, a dear lady, oh, this is decades ago after I taught a class in church, she um, came to me, uh, Virginia, and uh, wanted to talk alone, so we talked. And she had gone through a great period of depression and finally come out of it, and she told me, 
she didn't think she could live again or would want to live again mm. if that happened. Yeah. And uh, she desperately needed our prayers. You know, that's interesting. There are people that go through lifelong struggles with depression. Yeah. Others, it's a season right. that, that comes and goes. Some, it's it's pattern, like I'm sure you'll talk about Charles Spurgeon, who, right. who, who, you know, in the depths of despair. But we see it, too, with the prophets, like Isaiah, pretty up. Jeremiah, not so up. Mm-hmm. Like, Jeremiah's like, God, you are not a rock. You are a deceiver. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We got some good passages coming on that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the uh, the people who wrote the Bible are different personalities. Clearly, yeah. and uh, all have their own particular difficulties to deal with. And Jeremiah is a, that's why we're going to use him shortly. A good example of that. Um, here is um, Paul's response uh, to this whole problem about his learning experience. Finally, uh, in Philippians chapter four, starting at verse ten, uh, going through verse thirteen. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that's the key there. Uh, notice the, the bipolar movements he talks about. I can be brought down low, but I can also abound. But I've learned how to deal with that in a way, whether it's facing plenty or, or facing hunger, uh, whether he's got an abundance or he has nothing. Uh, Jesus is his strength. Well, that's the joy of the Lord, too, I think. You know you have it when you can be going through a, a pretty cruddy time. Right. But you still have joy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's you don't know you have joy until you're faced with a crappy time. Yeah. To yeah. know that you do have joy. You do have joy. Yeah. It's there. The problem with continuing anxiety is the despair it brings, as well as depression. Jeremiah, we've talked about him, experiences this in his ministry, as do many of us who aren't ministers, as we try to deal with the reality of the chaos in our life, and we shout out, God, where are you? Listen to this cry, born of anxiety, which grows into depression that brings despair. We're going to start first with Jeremiah 20, verses 7 and 8. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. Yeah, when he entered in this ministry, he he thought the Lord's intentions were to bless him and have some good times. And now, whenever he preaches, all he gets is people shouting, wanting to persecute him, throw rocks at him, and whatnot. He so, was a minister. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was a minister to uh, people who didn't appreciate him. <laughs> his own people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he continues his lament before God so God can know exactly where he stands on this. Verses 14 through 18. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, a son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave, and her womb forever great. Why did I come from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame. Wow. Yes. This is the fullness of pain that we sometimes experience when we voice something in true honesty we think is our soul's situation. I wish I'd never been born. Yeah. 
Uh, we're not talking about some teenage frustration here. No. No, this is far deeper and darker. Job uttered the same sentiments. Wish he'd never been born. You just go back and read Job chapter 3 and all the things that happened to him after God granted Satan permission to destroy his family, his wealth, and his health. Jeremiah, going back to him, is in the sloth of despair. You know, if you ever read Pilgrim's Progress, which I recommend, the Puritans were big on the, what they called melancholy. and We call it depression. They called it melancholy. And he has a whole section that about Christians who go through the sloth of despair. Depression of the worst kind. And Jeremiah makes his plight known to God plainly. He's done God's good will and got nothing but pain and abuse for it. Jeremiah 15, 15 through 18. O Lord, you know, remember and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revilers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? In other words, Lord, I've done what's right, and still nothing but abuse and pain. I'm at the point where I cannot take it anymore. My pain is unceasing, and my wound incurable. You're like a deceitful brook. Imagine saying that to God. Mm. Waters that fail. Well, Jeremiah looks for comfort. So what does he get? Jeremiah 15, 19 through 21. Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. There Jeremiah again Ooh. tells him about his, his complaint. And when God answers, God basically says, you need to turn around and come back to me and stop talking about what's worthless. Do that. Do not become worthless yourself in what you're doing. Thank goodness God is big enough to take our... Abusive language. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he does a thunderbolt down, your dust. Um, the Lord clearly tells Jeremiah to stop his complaint and return to his ministry. Even though he's still going to suffer opposition, the Lord will be with him. Sometimes trusting God is the only way out of one's despairing and depressed situation. And Jeremiah had to be reminded of this more than once. Hear the Lord's response to another complaint of Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 12, verses 1 through 4, and then 5. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them, and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart toward you. Pull them out like the sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said, he will not see our latter end. Yes, God, you need to do something. We got issues down here and this is God's response. And it's, 
I read this, I think I'd only been a Christian for a year when I was reading through the Old Testament, first time ever, and read this, and I thought, wow, <laughs> who is God? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's the question. Yeah. Verse 5, Randy. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Yeah. You think you got problems now? Yeah. Oh, there's more coming. Yeah. You need to toughen up. Sometimes tough love is the way out. And yet always, 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 as the God we serve does, there must be the encouragement of hope. What did he tell Jeremiah in chapter 15? I will be with you. Mm-hmm. Through it all, I am with you. Jeremiah 15, 20, good verse to circle down. When you think, where is God? He is with us, to be with us, to grant us the strength that Paul learned that he had to have in his life. Elijah. Another fellow who fell into a bipolar type experience when after experiencing the great high of defeating the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he experienced the depths of depression when Jezebel put a contract out on his life, like a godfather scene. 1 Kings 19, 4 through 5. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Lord, just let me die now. Let me, I just want to die. And he really meant he wanted to be dead. Depression. Either we overeat or we don't eat. (laughs) And I've been with people, and myself included, uh, it affects people differently. Elijah is also suffering from burnout. I preached a sermon on this once years ago, using Elijah as the example of someone who gets burned out. He'd gone through a lot. Just read all that he's been dealing with in in Kings there. And later at the mountain, he tells the Lord this, 1 Kings 19.10. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Yeah, that's the words of a man who's burned out. I've done everything I can. I'm the last one left, and guess what? They want to kill me. So what's that about, and where's that going to leave you, God? Mm. So then there comes the wind and the earthquake and the fire and the still small voice. God asks him again, what is he doing here? He gives the same answer. And then God does this. He gives him three anointing missions to perform. Go anoint two kings, Haziel and Jehu, Jehu over Israel, and then go anoint Elisha. Then the Lord says also, as a finishing touch, by the way, there are 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, being depressed, gets paranoid. That's what happens. We think everybody's against us. Mm -hmm. Or we think there's no way out. It does do that to the mind. You get warped. He's the only one left, but he wasn't. And note that though he will soon be retired by way of chariots of fire and wind, he must finish up his work, especially in anointing Elisha, to take his place. God has mercy on his prophet who is down and out and burnt out. But he wants him, and this is this is key, he wants him to retire in good standing. Mm. You want to quit the right way. Don't just quit. Mm. Let me show you how to quit, Elijah. So mm. it's good news to Elijah. It's going to be over shortly. And that gives him the incentive to finish the race the way God wants him to. That's the way God gives us strength. Mm. Sometimes the Lord's answer to our depression and anxiety and despair is uh, tough love, such as with Jeremiah and Elijah, and God provides a strength. Remember Jesus in Gethsemane? Listen to this, Mark 14, 32 through 36. 
And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell down on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Yeah, notice, greatly distressed, troubled, sorrowful, even to death. And he's not being hyperbolic there. Exactly, that's where he's at because it's all coming home to him now, what is going to be done, what has to happen, and he needs help. And once his buddies there, the inner circles, especially the three, to watch him pray. But now, let's do this. Note how there's a great change in Jesus' mentality when he finally realizes and accepts he must do the Father's will and that the Father will enable him to do this. Verses 39 through 42. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Yeah, listen to the change in attitude. It's enough. The hour has come. I'm betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's be going. And now, I don't mean to trivialize this, but the essence of let's get it done. Yeah. yeah, my betrayer's at hand. It's a total change because now, yes, he must do the Father's will, and he knows it can be done. He's accepted it. He's accepted it, yeah. and uh, it's going to happen. Um, from a depression that literally was draining life from him to an exhortation of get up, let's get it done. Keep in mind, he desired greatly support from his disciples in this. You know, sometimes we could be in misery because we're not doing what God is asking us to do, or we don't want to do what God is asking us to do. Yes, exactly. And there's so much freedom that when we finally accept that, it is, it's like a burden that's lifted because we have accepted our lot. We have accepted what we must do. Mm -hmm. We're no longer fighting against God. Right. And it changes our perspective. It does. It's called, it's that old, good old word. I'm reconciled to the will of God. Mm. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, so, listen then now to what he wanted his disciples to do for him, which they failed in. Mark 14, 34, 37, and 38. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yep. It, the flesh is weak. We mentioned earlier, we all have weaknesses, mm. and we need the strength of the Lord. That's not just a religious uh, motto to hang on. Yeah. It's something that's going to be in our life. And what we are saying is that the Lord does grant us peace when we cry out to him, and there is great relief. Uh, sometimes, however, we are called to persevere, and in doing his will, a strength we did not know before will sustain us. He sustains us. Prayer is primary in such matters, for this same Jesus is our high priest, who in life, and certainly at Gethsemane, suffered the temptation to reject the will of God, but he prayed. So we need to hear this from Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect 
has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Indeed, the flesh is weak, but he is strong. We have weaknesses, weaknesses we die with. Make your list of what your weakness is. Jesus is there, and it's those weaknesses that eventually soak up our depression, take us into anxiety, and far worse. What is realistic counsel to someone in depression, anxiety, and grief? Do we say, hey, get over it? Mm. Not quite. Proverbs 25:20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Yes. In other words, take the pain of our fellow man seriously. That's not to say we uh, don't ever be honest and truthful. We, we got to be those things, but we got to take it seriously yeah. and, and say this is a problem for him. Grief not dealt with and worked through can lead to serious mental health issues. We must indeed be ready to enter the burdens of others. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are, who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Such a fallen one, someone who's fallen into sin, will be fearful as well, shall we soon see about that. Fearful is a fear is the problem. Anxieties, depression, etc. will be manifested when you fall into sin. Of the type you have to be rescued from. Listen to Psalm 38, verses 1 through 8, especially verse 4. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Right, verse 4, the heavy, heavy burden. The complexities of intertwining, the intertwining of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual issues. Sin can clearly become a problem of mental instability and in fact the bible presents it as just that but we who are trying to help someone must enter into this sickness help him or her lift that burden while keeping ourselves mentally spiritually healthy it takes wisdom and time to discern sometimes how to do that obviously but we also must discern that there are certain burdens that are ours to work out before the lord because paul goes on to say in galatians 6 verse 5 for each will have to bear his own load. Right. And uh, if you go to Mr. Mounts, the, uh, the uh, Greek fellow of the day, he will translate that with the word burden as well. Everybody has to carry their own burden. Sometimes this load, which is ours, this burden, seems impossible to bear. We're going to give a little testimonies here about Charles Spurgeon, so bear with us. This is worthwhile listening to. Not long after I became a Christian, Charles Spurgeon, for whatever reason, I came in contact with his sermons and begin to think, well, this guy was something back in the 1800s. Here's from Bing, a little blurb about him. Charles Spurgeon has been called the Prince of Preachers. He preached to over 10 million people in his lifetime, and his written sermons have impacted millions more since. So what has this got to do with mental health, since he sounds like he's got everything going good? Listen to this. 
excerpt. This comes from Crossway.org and their article about him in February 24, 2018. And it goes right along with the, uh, the biographies that I have read about Charles Spurgeon. Here's the quote. Age 22, and he was a pastor of a large church and with twin babies at home to look after, he was preaching to thousands in the Surrey Gardens Music Hall when pranksters yelled fire, starting a panic to exit the building, which killed seven people and left 28 severely injured. Spurgeon's mind was never the same again. His wife, Susanna, wrote, quote, My beloved's anguish was so deep and violent that reason seemed to totter in her throne, and we sometimes feared that he would never preach again. End of that quote from her. Then, from the age of 33 onward, he had physical pains of all kind, uh, and they became large and constant feature in his life. He suffered from burden, a burning kidney inflammation called Bright's disease. He had gout, which is really painful, rheumatism, and neuritis, which is the inflation of the nervous system. The pain was such that it soon kept him from preaching for one-third of the time. Added to that, overwork, stress, and guilt about the stress began to take their toll. And all this was in the public eye and was jumped on by his many critics, and because he was such a successful dynamic preacher, he had them. And this did not make it easier to bear. The suffering, they argued, rather predictably, was a judgment from God. The depression could hit him so intensely that he once said, quote, he's on record with this, I could say with Job, quoting Job 7:15, my soul chooses strangling rather than life. In other words, I'd rather commit suicide. I would readily enough, says Spurgeon, have laid violent hands upon myself to escape from my misery of spirit. And that's as low as you can get. End of quote. Well, before seeking relief from such melancholy, Spurgeon sought to understand God's purposes in these things that he might profit from the experience. Can you believe that? He later remarked that such bouts of depression were followed by some good and bright blessing from God. Here's his quote. This is Charles Spurgeon speaking. This depression comes over me whenever the Lord is preparing me for a larger blessing for my ministry. The cloud is black before it breaks and overshadows before it yields its deluge of mercy. Depression has now become to me as a prophet in rough clothing, a John the Baptist heralding the nearer coming of my Lord's richer blessing. End of quote. He even instructed, they had a school for ministers there that he had started. Here's from the book he wrote about that, what he said to them. He said, quote, knowing by most painful experience what deep depression of spirit means and being visited therewith at seasons by no means few or far between, I thought it might be a consolation to some of my brethren if I gave my thoughts about this, that younger men might not fancy that some strange thing had happened to them when they become for a season possessed by melancholy, which is what they called depression back then, and that sadder men might know that one upon whom the sun has shone right joyously did not always walk in the light. And uh, years ago, I read, uh, I think, the best biography of this dealing with his emotional problems and his depression. It's called Bright Days and Dark Nights uh, with Charles Spurgeon and Triumph Over Emotional Pain, written by Elizabeth Skoglund. And she did, tells all the issues he had with this. Now, others have said that if Spurgeon were around today, he would surely be diagnosed as having clinical depression and be medicated for it. And as you heard, we're not against meds. Um, and sometimes they are really needed. But in our hearts, we know we need more, as did Spurgeon. And we're going to leave you round out this. And this is, this is a good finish, so please stay with us. Here is Paul talking to his number one 
Timothy about his emotional life and his physical life and all of that. 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason I am reminded you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Right. Timothy is getting dominated by fear. And that's the main problem we have here with anxieties and depression. Fear is the problem which brings about anxiety and all that comes from it. Listen to Paul now in Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right. All this is bound up in fear. We are not to fall back into fear. Move ahead in love and power because we've been adopted into the Father's family. And note the Spirit's part in this exhortation to Timothy and Paul's to the church at Rome. John also addresses this matter of fear versus love. Listen to this, 1 John 4, 17, 18. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so, also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear has to do with punishment. And uh, whence comes this fear of punishment? What's its origin? Now we go to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now note the pattern. Paul says we were slaves of fear. John says it fears about punishment. Hebrews traces it back to Satan, who enslaved us with fears of death. Enslaved to fear, the fear of punishment, fearing the death we surely deserve, a web concocted, concocted by Satan. Does this sound familiar? We go right back to the beginning, Genesis 3, 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Yes, he's fallen to sin. So what happens? He says, I heard you. Now he hears God, and there is fear, the wrong kind of fear, not the fear of the Lord, but just fear that there is death, and he's right about that. I was afraid. Why were you afraid, Adam? Because I was naked. I was, I'm vulnerable. I got anxieties now about that. And I hid myself. Hid himself from God, from himself. How does Adam deal with fear? He hides. If he hides from God, he can't be his true self. He is now emotionally imbalanced, anxiety-ridden, moving towards spiritually crippling depression. And by the way, this is an insight that psychologists who aren't Christian understand. Uh, back in the 70s, I read a book, because it just caught, the title caught my eye, called The Denial of Death, written by a post-Freudian psychologist called Ernest Beck. This is 1973. It's not a Christian book, uh, although he does reference some Christians in it. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Freudian psychology. Listen to this quote from uh, Griefopedia of uh, January 7th of this year. The Denial of Death is a book by Ernest Becker that was published in 1973. It's a work of psychology and philosophy that explores the concept of death and how it shapes 
human behavior. The book posits that humans have an inherent fear of death and that this fear motivates many of our actions and beliefs. To cope with this fear, we engage in various forms of, quote, immortality projects, end quote, that allow us to feel that if we are contributing something meaningful to the world, that our lives have a purpose, end of quote. Now, when I read that, I thought, wow, that's interesting. And he has that kind of insight into what the Bible plainly yeah. rolls out there. Um, he won a Pulitzer Prize, but few prized it because I didn't see a mass changing of lives. But it's a, it was a great book with great insights. For we who are Christians who are bound up in the love of God, fear and all of its deathly forms should not be a problem. Yet there are times when it is. Depression is a way of sucking our life away. Anxiety sucks our life away. It's a form of death. Abiding in God because of Christ should give us his spirit's power. So we need to pursue this. The love we need to move beyond fear and all the emotional instability is uh, what it does to bring us to have confidence before God on that day, as John said. And the confidence building now gives us a clean bill of spiritual health on that day. So let's seek to abide in God's love through Christ and the power of the spirit and remember, remember Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 is the beginning. We need to pray for the love of God to burn within us for our good and God's glory. And that's the Christian expectation. Well, thanks, Jim. You've given us a lot to think about. And there may be questions and comments on it. And we'd like to hear from you those questions and comments. So kindly send us an email or post a comment on the podcast post online. We will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. And until next time, keep looking up.